get your ears on, maybe fasten your seatbelt because Pastor Kevin's coming to minister. Wow, okay. Okay. Is there someone, Pastor wants to know, who wants to share about the conference and how it ministered to your heart? You have to come up here. Who's first? They're all bashful, Pastor. The two guys that were going to testify are counting the offering. No. <laughs> all right, so here he comes. Praise the Lord. Get you ready to receive. Well, I'm not Johnny. You know, they used to say Johnny Carson. Well, I thought, there we go. I thought I had that thing on. We did have a great conference. Boy, the praise and worship was really great, I thought. And the preaching was very good. As there were uh, musicians Zach used from various places, you know, to beef it up a little bit. And it was tremendous. And lots of people are watching online, but uh, it's, it's just a joy. Uh, I did something Friday, for those who don't know. Uh, we had a little transfer of leadership. We laid hands on Zach to become the local lead pastor of the ministry. So he will be, we're switching roles a little bit. I won't be leading worship, though, but oh, I could. It just wouldn't be very good. But uh, he is taking the reins as the local pastor, and I'll be preaching when he's not here, and I'll be traveling more because God's opening up the doors to go and minister out. And so I know I'll be in New Orleans and Brownsville, Texas, probably in October and Mexico in November. And I don't know where I'll be in September. I'll be somewhere. Might be here. You never know. I'll be preaching on Labor Day here, though, and then on August the 21st, because Zach is ministering out on those days. So uh, we just kind of swap it back and forth. But it's an exciting time. I feel like that this allows the younger generation to tune in a little bit better. I make a great-grandpa uh, to my grandkids, and I'm a good dad, and I love to talk to ministers and encourage them. And so that's what a lot of what I'll be doing. And uh, I know I'll be going to Carolinas again, probably Columbia, South Carolina, and I need to go and visit Danny Santiago in Miami, one of our churches down there. So it'll be a busy time. But, uh, you know, we'll still be here. We're available. I'm still going to do the counseling for the ministry and ministrating. But uh, he'll be free to fly like a bird and do it as he feels the Lord's leading him. And I'll give him a pat on the back or I'll say, whoa, Nellie, you know, slow down. Uh, but he's free to let God use him. And he's of age. You know, and that's exciting. You know, I've been waiting for that day to come so that 
we can even fatten up our ministry a little bit more. But it's good. Whoop, what happened? There it is, came back. Uh, Zach's trying to move me into the 21st century. It is the 21st. Or, yeah, okay. Making sure I'm in the right century. I preached that sermon back to the future a couple of Sundays ago, and so I've got to get into the future. Amen? So anyway, we're talking about the church, the ecclesia. How should we be? How, how should we appear? What should we do? How do people know that we are the church? You know, we heard so many good messages during this conference about the church, about what it represents, Jesus Christ. We, it, they were all laced together so beautifully. And it was kind of funny because we've always been a ministry that lays hands on lots of people and prophesies and, and for lots of healings. But this conference was so thick with the word that we had very few people we laid hands on. We, we had that ministry on Thursday night. But otherwise, it was just such a blast of anointing from the pulpit from every speaker. You know, it was just pretty crazy. It was good. But uh, anyway, we're talking about the church and how it should be now. Proverbs 29 and 18, the New King James says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law or the word. You know, there, the old King James says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. When you perish, you disappear. But this is rendered out where there's no revelation. How many know you need to have some revelation, the light of the Holy Ghost on something, for you to be able to go forward? You know, uh, I had to hear from the Lord uh, some things before I could move here. I had a church, South Florida, not to be labor or pat myself on the back or anything, but I worked hard. I endured hardship as a good soldier. I took that church. We had about 125, and it grew. We, we had revival. It grew to 450 people in about 18 months. And, boy, the pressure was on. And I actually hired Pastor Ken to come help me start the day school and he didn't even get his truck hardly loaded, and then Hurricane Andrew blew us away. You're talking about 155-mile-an-hour sustained winds, 235 miles an hour at the Air Force Base, broke the wind meter over there. It broke a concrete post this big around that was behind my house in half. That's how powerful that wind was. And so, you know, right away I had to go into crisis mode and it was traumatic for many people I mean uh, one of the guys in our church he was a highway patrolman he saw a cow flying through the air and he saw somebody in a bathtub flying through the air I mean it was pretty crazy business and they'll never tell you and I know I'm on YouTube and such but there were many illegal migrants that died that was never reported. They took out bodies in refrigerator trucks because the migrant camps were down 
down past to where Florida City was. So it was quite an ordeal. But you still, if you're called to the ministry, you're still called to build his church. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, that was one thing that came against us. I had to then focus on how do I get the money? Lord, I need your leading. How do I build? Who do I have help me build? But I, we ended up building 40,000 square foot of building and four buildings with a campus concept with a playground in the center. And we had uh, a lot of spiritual battles when I was there. Uh, I had the devil attack me one night in the middle of the night and there was a demonic creature with its hands around my neck. I woke up, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't speak. So the only thing I could do was say Jesus without any volume. As soon as I mouthed the name of Jesus, that thing took its hands off my neck like that and it walked across the foot of my bed into the night right through my glass doors. And I said, when I got my breath back, my wife was still sleeping. I said, what was that, Lord? He said, that was a spirit of death that came to terminate your ministry and your life before it was time. How many know you got a real enemy out there? The devil's real. I have seen him. I've not seen any angels. Isn't that ironic? I'm a prophetic Spirit-filled man of God, I see demons, but I don't see angels. Dennis sees angels. You know, I'm thankful because he tells me, he says, I saw this angel and that angel. And he was saying when we were praying for Zach, there was an angel standing behind him that just kept getting bigger and bigger. He was like 12, 14 feet high. You know, I wish I could see that. Now, I have felt that extra zing of the presence of God many, many times. But anyway, I said, well, how, did it, how come I saw a shadow on the wall when he walked out? He said, because when you called my name, the light of the love of God came. And he said, if anything's standing where there's a light, it will cast a shadow. Because I saw the shadow on the wall as he was walking out. I could see him very clearly. He looked like black sinewy muscle with no skin. I mean, it was the most grotesque figure you could ever imagine. He had red eyes. But when I just mouthed the name Jesus, guess what? He knew the game was over. And out he went because the power of God instantly came into my room. And that's never been back since. Now, I've cast a lot of demons out of people and had a lot of deliverance ministry, uh, a lot of it being in other states and other uh, countries. Yet I know Papa Bluff's full of demons because I see all the crisis and trouble going on around the city. But you know what? I believe revival's coming and he's going to break the back of the enemy and he's going to bring in people right and left. And I pray all the churches wake up and that he would fill all of the churches with people hungry to grow in the Lord. Amen? But that's just an experience. But I had to rebuild that church. And it was work. It was hard work. But then at the same time, 
I began to get those invitations to travel and go to other countries and preach and prophesy, uh, you know, and it's been a joy. But then the Lord spoke to me. See, revelation comes so that you can enter into more of what God has for you. You may think it's really great where you're at, and then boom, something happens. And then it's not seemingly as good as you thought it would be. But God has a plan always. And so He's headed somewhere. And if you'll get in with Him, you know, you can be a part of His great plan. And God will use you. In fact, it's going to take an army to really win this city and this region to the Lord. It can't be one flaming evangelist. It can't be one prophetic preacher. Uh, you know, can't be a dynamic pastor. You can't stop things from happening. Things will happen that aren't, you know, things that you can understand or that you can comprehend it and figure it out. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Man, did y'all know that they even believed the end was near back in the days of the disciples? I mean, this is Peter writing. You're talking about 2,000 years ago that he was writing these words, and yet he said the end is near. Well, if it was near then, what do you think it is right now? You know, a lot of people, well, do you think, you know, the end is very near? Well, have you ever looked and seen what's going on around this world? I mean, these countries, if every country that had nuclear weapons would let one go, our planet would be annihilated. And you think we got problems? Well, you know, you look at who the leaders are right now, and that makes me very nervous at who they are because they could blow this thing up. Now, we know it won't happen until God blows it up because he said he will cause this earth to burn like fire. And he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. I want to be here, and I want to be a part of that. The only way you can be is if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Not just, and I was saying this a couple of Sundays ago, and I was talking with the guy up at Baldwin Chevrolet. He goes to uh, the General Baptist on the north side of town. And we were talking. People believe in the historical Jesus. That's not a problem. I mean, a lot of them believe, you know. Uh, they even celebrate Christmas and stuff like that. But a lot of those people don't even know him. They don't really know him. They believe in him. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, I know he died for my sins. A lot of people even said a little prayer. God, I confess, I'm sorry. And the word says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. But, you know, that salvation it works three ways. It saves you from your past. It saves you while you're in your present. And it's going to save you into your future. 
So you know what? That means you've got to stay with it every day. You know, I'm not saying anybody can rob you of your salvation. I'm saying it is a process. You know, people go for counseling. Usually it's not just one time that they go and, oh, I'm fixed. I'm perfect now. No, it doesn't work that way. It takes several sessions sometimes to get down to the nitty-gritty of what the problem is. I mean, there's... I, if I told you some of those experiences I had down in South Florida, I got a call from a teenager one night. He said, Pastor, we need you to come to our house. I said, what's wrong? His name was Julio. He said, my dad is going to get the gun. I said, why? He said, because my mom is chasing him with a butcher knife. <laughs> I said, well, you tell them, tell your mom to go in the kitchen. Tell your dad to sit down in the living room that I'll be there in 10 minutes and that if I have to, I'll bring the police with me. When I got there, guess what? It worked. Uh, I was dumb enough to believe it would work. But it did work. They were sitting in two different rooms. I mean to tell you, you're talking about people that go to church. They were going to kill each other. They were so mad at one another. And you just don't get rid of their problems overnight. But I'll tell you this, when Jesus Christ gets a hold of somebody, if they let him. Now, I don't know about y'all. I, I could ask Jimmy some questions about his ministry, what has transpired at times. My brother used to be a teen challenge director, and there was a boy that levitated off the bed one night, scared all the guys in the room with him, they ran out. <laughs> he went up there, and he, he commanded him to come down. He came from a Native American background, I guess, where they had been praying these spirits, you know, in and so on and so forth. Let me tell you what, there's stuff that you don't even know sometimes that happens. I mean, to tell you the devil's real, the cult is real. Sant there were people with Santeria came and did the little chicken bone thing in the driveway of our church and poured out the blood of the chicken on the driveway. But you know what? They could never get on the property. They could only do it on the right-of-way right next to the road. There was a, a guy that was a warlock, the main warlock of Homestead, and he, they were Satan worshipers, and he uh, got saved, and they had to take him into hiding at the upper room assembly of God Church. And while they did that, you know, he told the pastor, Bruce Klepp, that was a friend of mine, he said there's like 3,000 Satan worshipers in Homestead, Florida. When we lived there, there might have been 75,000 people lived there. That's a pretty big church, isn't it? Well, they said, he said that they would infiltrate churches. They would send girls in there, Satan worshiping girls that would dress kind of sexy and they'd try to get a secretary job at the churches or whatever. They'd get in there and they'd try to seduce the deacons and the pastors and whatnot. And a lot of, of them fell into problems. But he told the pastor, he said, but there's one kind of church we could never infiltrate. And he said, what kind is that? He said, it's the kind where they sing praise and worship songs. 
said we could not infiltrate those churches. You know, I mean, we had people come in. I cast demons out. I, I delivered witches and all kinds of stuff from the devil. But you know, they could not come in and control things. They couldn't cause things to go in the wrong direction. But boy, he sure wants to try. He sure wants to get in. That's for sure. But Peter, he wrote about it. He said this. The end of all things is at hand. When you have all these countries that could destroy people and they unleash COVID and everything else on this world to where they're trying to destroy the population because that's what that agenda was. You look it up on the internet, 2030 agenda, and you'll see where those evil one world government people wanted to depopulate the earth. So they have unleashed all this stuff. Do you think these bird flus and swine flus and all that was just by happenstance? You think HIV and AIDS was just by happenstance? The devil has an agenda, and he's used world leaders and, and governments to unleash this stuff like you wouldn't believe. Over in Africa, the AIDS... Uh, people were dying of AIDS right and left. And uh, there are some ministers, though, that began to walk in power, and people are being delivered from AIDS. Yeah. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do. But all these things point to the end. And he said, it's at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So don't be silly with your prayers like, Oh, Lord, lay me down to sleep and my soul I pray to keep. you got to get a little more serious than that right there. But it goes on in, in verse 8, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Think about that. Have fervent love for one another. I have had probably... 15 to 20 ministers or pastors come to me over the years that fell into some kind of sin to where they would have to leave their churches. And I had to show them love and how to walk out of those sins, how to come out of it. And many are back in ministry or business some of them are very successful now, and some have entered different areas of ministry now. Uh, you know, I, I can't say too much because they might be watching, but uh, I can't even hardly describe it, how it worked. But you got to love people. You, you know, but when the church world becomes so critical that they're gossiping and talking about all the failures, a different, did you hear what happened with so-and-so? Yeah, and it just destroys, it's like shooting the wounded. It just destroys people and their lives. And yet we're called to love. It said fervently love one another. That means intensely, you know. I'll tell you right now, if you've got an issue, you come and talk to me if you can find me. I hope you can find me. But I'm serious. You 
you need to talk and get somebody to cover you with love, the love of God. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know what a multitude is? It's more than a thousand. I, I look around here. How many of y'all have committed more than a thousand sins in your life probably? Hey, I can raise my hand. I'm 64 years old, so divide that into 64 years. Not, you could say, oh, that's not too bad. No, but, you know, you have issues and problems, and you need somebody to help you. Uh, one of my mentors, Marvin Gorman, he had a failure, and there was a big rigmarole on that denomination. I mean, it was really sad, all that happened uh, in that circumstance. And I, I went to see him. He was teaching a class at, in Bradenton for Gerald Durstein. And this was like, I guess, mm, about eight years after his failure. Nobody wanted to deal with him. He was such an awesome preacher and had been all over the world. And yet when he had that failure, everybody wanted to slice and dice him, you know. They didn't, they didn't want him to be successful. It made them feel like bigger men, you know, for somebody that is well known to fall into a situation. I went over there and surprised him. And he saw me and my little wife, and we went up and hugged their necks, him and Sister Gorman. And you know what I did? I invited him to come preach a revival for me. I knew he has repented. And you know what? He preached a five-week revival for us. Over 180 people got saved in that revival. 200 baptized in the Holy Ghost. And it was just fabulous. And he told me the whole story of what happened. You know, and I won't get into it too much, but uh, he told me everything. And he cried like a baby in my front seat of my car. And I just prayed for him. And I always showed him love and respect and honor. Because it, it wasn't what he did. It is who is he. You know, you are important to God. You may have made a mistake along the way. But God still loves you. Amen. And he has a plan for your life. He's got purpose for you. And so I couldn't see dragging the man down. How about lifting him up? And there's been many like that in the ministry. And I've had the position of grace and mercy. But you know what? I'm just a pretty nice guy, to tell you the truth. I try to be anyway. And God is good. You know what? Did you know you reap what you sow? You go and treat people bad, guess what? It's going to come back on you. I always try to treat people good. But anyway, let's read on. He said, and really I'm talking about the points that I have on my notes, by the way. Then he said, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Ha-ha. You've got to be nice and hospitable, inviting people. And don't grumble. Well, you know, if I don't invite them, nobody's going to invite them. Something like that. But, you know, 
what does it take to just be nice to somebody? Is it that hard? I used to have a sign on my door in Florida, and this lady in the church gave me this, what do you do, you embroidery it? Anyway, is this thing, and I hung it on my door, and it's a picture of Winnie the Pooh. And then it had the words, let's have lunch. And so that became my motto. I would take people to lunch, and I would pay for it. I called my daughter Alicia today. I, I, it's lunchtime. I could have called Zach, or I could have called Chelsea. I could have called somebody else. But you know what? I just saw her face in my mind, and I called her. I, and I sent her a message, and I said, what you doing for lunch? She was going with her friend Ashley, so I didn't have to buy her lunch. you know. But anyway, she was happy that I thought of her. But, you know, it's great. I would take my whole staff to the Thai restaurant on Wednesdays in South Florida. We would go there and eat, and the people that owned the Thai restaurant, they were Buddhist. And they would call me, Pastor Kevin. You know, they had an accent. And they said, so good to see you, Pastor Kevin. I said, it's good to be here. I'm ready for some red snapper with yellow curry and some, uh, you know, some of that Thai salad. I'm hungry. I don't know about you guys. I didn't eat supper tonight. I'm getting in that mode. I'm thinking about food. But I go there and eat that, have soup, you know, with it. Pastor Ken would go sometimes. But it was a joy for me to take the guys to lunch and to treat them well. It's a joy to have people at the house. I would stress my wife out now sometimes because, you know, somebody, I'd say, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is coming to lunch or to dinner with us tonight. Oh, oh, what am I going to do? Because it put the pressure on her. I was just happy. Yeah, come on over and eat with us. Now she's telling me about people she wants to come by, you know, and eat with. But, you know, what really does it take to just be a little hospitable, nice to people? You know, it makes a difference in their lives. But be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Don't grumble. There's always somebody. We went there last week. Hey, you don't have to. What I feel like saying is, you know, you don't have to go. If I'm paying the bill, that's where I want to go. You know, uh, you don't have to go, but I still, okay, where can we all go? That happens with my family every Sunday. They all want to know where I want to go eat, and I just preach. Well, you know, when you preach, you don't, you got fog in your brain. And I can't even think clear after that hardly. But be hospitable without grumbling. And then he said, verse 10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I pronounced it that way because it's not a manifold like on the bottom of a car. It's the many many of them, many folds of the grace of God. So whatever your gift is, 
helps deliver grace to people. Everybody at the conference on Saturday at lunch said, Oh, my, where did y'all get this fried chicken? They just loved it. I didn't know where it came. You know why? Because Sister Di and Brother Dennis put their heads together and decided that they needed to bring some fried chicken to help with the lunch on Saturday. We weren't even going to have lunch on Saturday. We had so many leftovers from Friday that we decided to have lunch on Saturday. When they brought that chicken... My goodness, you know, a preacher is in heaven temporarily when he eats fried chicken. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. But uh, anyway, that was some of the best fried chicken I'd ever eaten. And she said it's because they just got it out of, of cooking it, frying it, when she picked it up. That's why it tasted so good. It was fresh. But they have a gift for that. He made the brisket that we ate on Friday, and the ribs, and the hot dogs. You know, I'm a funny guy. Sometimes if you're grilling, I could eat a hot dog just as good as I could eat a steak. I don't know what it is. I just love hot dogs grilled on the grill. And those were, uh, what were they called? No, the other one. Nathan's. Thank you. Nathan's hot dogs. I don't know if you ever had those, but when they're grilled on a grill, they're good. i got to stop talking about food. <laughs> I'm going to be wanting to go somewhere that has hot dogs now. But it says, minister your gift. It's many folds. Many. You all have different giftings. Brother Tim takes care of the churchyard. He mows the grass and weed eats the property. Others... We have ladies that do the children's ministry. And you've got different giftings that you do and you have. Use your gifts for the kingdom of God. Amen? That's why I don't sing. That's not my gift. Although I can carry a tune. But we go on. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. You know... This conference, why it was so powerful? Every speaker spoke as the oracle of God. Did you see how intense they were? I mean to tell you, the messages came out like butter and honey. You know, they were, the words were thick. I was in Guadalajara preaching after I was so sick in uh, 2000, 2008, was it? Anyway, 2007, 15, my dog's 15 years old, and we got him as a puppy. That's how I can remember it. 15 from 22 is 7, right? So it was in the fall of 2007 that I'd gone to Eastern Europe and ministered. They had strep throat, which, by the way, who knows where that came from. But anyway, I got strep throat, and I didn't know it. And I let it just rage on for like two weeks because I thought it was just the change in altitude from the mountains down here to southeast Missouri. And I kept preaching and popping cough drops. And I, I got in the hot tub that night in my bathroom because I, I felt cold. Well, I didn't realize I had a fever. 
So then I got out. I was shivering and shaking. I just got in bed, and I just sweated it out. I drenched my clothes, got up, changed clothes, drenched them again with fever, and then I got out of bed, and my arm was this big around. And this was like this big around. And I had a red streak going up my arm. It was an infection. And I was playing with a little puppy, and I got a little snag on my finger. I think that must be how that got in my arm. You know, if you rub your nose, your nose is a problem. When I had a spider bite, I'm telling you, the devil sent all kinds of creatures to try to kill me. I had a brown recluse bit me, and he said, gave me medicine to put in my nose because I got staph after that. And so I had to wash in the shower with surgical soap, and then I had to put stuff up my nose, and, it, it, and he said, don't put your finger around your nose because, you know, you touch your nose, that's where bugs and bacteria and viruses come. It's through your nose. You need Navage. You know that advertisement on TV? Navage is what will cleanse your system. You know, and you put the thing up there and it shoots the water in one nostril and sucks it out the other one. Man, I don't know if I could take that. You know, I feel like my head is about to blow up. But anyway... You, you get that in your nose. Well, I think what I did is I probably scratched my nose or something, and I had that get into my finger, and it got in my arm, and I had strep cellulitis, and then it got in my lymph nodes, other places, wherever lymph nodes are, and I was swollen, I was red, I was toxic, and I was in the hospital for a week. My white cells had gone over 80,000 towards 100,000, and really, by all rights, I should have been dead. But you know what? I had a lot of people praying for me. I'd have people call me at the hospital, and they'd pray for me, Brother Summerall, Brother Gorman, all kinds of people calling me, and I'd just say, hey, amen. But I was so sick, I lost 28 pounds in six days. And I could not eat. They put a T-line into my heart. And I had to trust God. And that last day, on that Saturday, I was going loco moco. I was going nuts. And I just cried out to God. I said, God, I got a good insurance policy. My wife will have enough money to pay everything off, have some money left over. So I'm ready. I'm ready to go to heaven. Just take me. I'm sick of being sick, you know, because I was about gone. And uh, then after about five minutes, I thought about it. I said, Lord, no, I don't want you to take me. I said, I want you to heal me. My wife is still young and good looking, and I got small children. I can't, I can't be going to heaven yet. I've got to stay on earth. And you know what? The next morning they checked my blood and it went under 20,000 white cells and the doctors, because that's a teaching hospital in Barnes Hospital. I'd have six, eight doctors look over me and look at me everywhere and they would 
be, well, I think it could, maybe it could be this. Maybe this could be going on. You know, doctors don't know everything. They sure didn't know God was doing what he was doing because overnight, man, my healing was intact. And I got out. They, I said, they said, we're going to let you go home. There's an ice storm. Here, sign the papers. I signed the papers. I said, honey, get my clothes. They said, wait for the wheelchair. I got my clothes. I said, I'm out of here. And I started, I went to the elevator and went downstairs. I started walking. I said, honey, where's the car? said, the parking garage is this way. I walked about halfway across that hospital, and I, I had to sit down. I said, I should have got in a wheelchair. I said, what on earth was I thinking? Man, I was so weak. But, you know, you still got to fight the good fight. And so I got in, and we came south on Sunday. We couldn't make it for church on time, but I made it to McDonald's in Farmington, and I saw the golden arches. And it wasn't a spiritual experience either. But I saw those golden arches and I said, Honey, pull over there. Give me a fish sandwich and some french fries. Now I'm going to tell you, I got high a few times way back in my past when I was about 18, 19 years old. And we always wanted to eat fish sandwich after that. I don't know what was in that fish. But, you know. Anyway, that's the first time I craved a fish sandwich in like, 45 years and I went and got me a fish sandwich and I made it home but I got healed now this is it I went to Mexico one month later because I promised them I'd go and I'd already bought a ticket I was very weak still but I went and I preached about 20 minutes and I walked down the aisle a couple of times people were like this they couldn't look I said, what are these people doing? They're acting like they can't see me or something. And then I prayed for people. I, well, I, I walked back up after preaching 20 minutes. I said, well, who needs to be saved in this place? Get down here in the altar. 200 people got up and ran down the altar and got saved that night. Then I said, well, how many is called to the ministry? About 25 people came down, and I laid hands on them for the ministry. Then I was wiped completely but the pastor and his wife <coughs> she told me afterwards through Tino's translation said people some of them could not see you when you were walking down the aisle all they could see was a bright light in front of you they could hear the words coming out but they couldn't see you they just saw this bright light and then others couldn't see me because Jesus was standing in front of me looking at the people as I was preaching. I thought, man, it's hard to get these words out. I'm, it's like preaching, like with one of those voice modulation deals. I couldn't seem to get it out, but it went out. And all this good stuff happened when you're weak. He is strong, see? So you trust in him, and you do the best of what you can do. Amen? So... You preach as an oracle of God. Look, if you're going to give a testimony, do it with all your heart. If you're going to preach, preach like you have no tomorrow. You know, preach with passion. I can't wait to hear Zach preach on Sunday because hands were laid on him and there's a transformation 
that takes place when that happens. He'll light up like a Christmas tree, probably. But it says, speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what? I'm going to have to bring the rest of this back next week because I got long on this at one passage. But you know, God is with you to bring you into the position to where you will make a difference. Jimmy, who are your leaders that are here with you? You have certain leaders? I want them to stand up if they're a leader in your ministry. Okay? Two of them? All right. Do you mind coming down here? You guys? Jimmy, you can come with them. What is your name? Austin. Have I ever met you before? Once. Ron? Good to meet you. And I know this guy already. I remember he used to visit our church over at the conference center when we had the church there. And was it a Karen would invite you? And she was married to Brandon. And he had come. I don't know if God was dealing with you then, but look at what God's doing with you now. And that's pretty awesome. You know, I want to bless you. Tell me again. Austin. Austin. God, I need a healing in my memory. Anyway, Lord, everybody stretch your hand this way. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bless Austin. I pray for a fervency 